Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Lay Bear podcast, an audio experience designed to decode leadership and inspire action. Being a forward-thinking leader and game changer, you've tuned in to discover pragmatic tips and hints on leadership from the very best leaders. Each episode is dedicated to sharing pragmatic stories from the field and more importantly, real examples of what successful leaders are actually doing to deliver at pace. With so much to share, let's hand over to your host, Graham Wilson. Over the past few years, I've been asked often by leaders to help them to decode what digital leadership really means and how they can actually lead their organizations through digital transformation. So I'm really excited today to be able to invite our guest, who is someone who's mastered that for many, many years now. It's someone I've worked with for a long time, from our money supermarket days to working with Sykes, transforming and growing that business. And someone who is really passionate about developing businesses through people and being customer-centric and also mastering this concept of digital transformation, but also leading through questions and conversations and being a, a key storyteller. So a warm welcome to Graham Donahue, CEO of Sykes Cottages. Hello, Graham. Great to be asked. Thank you for um, allowing me to share some of my um, ramblings and insights over my 20, 25 years, I think I worked out the other day there, in, um, in digital mostly as well. So with all that experience, Graham, tell us a little bit about your background, so just so that people can tune in. And I think the context is quite useful of your journey so far. Tell us a little bit about what you've done so far and, and how you've got to where you are now. I think I, I was quite lucky early on. I sort of decided that this internet thing sounded quite interesting and this e-commerce thing. So mm. I, I, I picked a route to, uh, to my career that obviously is, is proved to be um, fascinating and, and, and served me quite well. So, you know, my, my, my sort of a background is, um, you know, I, I don't know how far you want me to go back, but I, I think it plays a bit of context to mm. sort of a leadership in the story. I, I've always been um, someone who has worked incredibly hard uh, from a very young age in terms of liking liking money and earning money. So, you know, I, I can give you stories of sort of me having multiple paperboy jobs, uh, you know, and, and working in Tesco's, you know, on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday and a Sunday, which was very special because they paid me double time as a, wow. as a young, as a young sort of, a, you know, 14, 15 year old at high school. And that gave me a real, it gave me a real taste for sort of a working and for, um, you know, I, I guess really just sort of, you know, earning, earning my way and my keep early on. And I, 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 I was very much into sort of the management um, at Tesco's in the early days in terms of leadership. And that was the route I wanted to go down. So I was planning to do a, a sort of a degree in a retail management and to, to work for sort of a Tesco's. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I went down, I went down that route and then I decided sort of a not to, and I just worked in the store and eventually I found my way from Tesco's into the travel industry. And I fell in love with the travel industry um, because, you know, consumer dealing with sort of a customers, I could see how technology could really sort of work. Uh, you know, and after, um, you know, about six months and a small agency, I eventually was asked to to look after that agency and then, you know, run, the, run that little business. And then um, I did that for about four or five years, running lots of little small travel agents up and down the UK. Um, right. Met my met my lovely wife over the telephone. Um, wow. Yeah, in, in 1993, met her over the telephone, who also worked in travel. I uh, decided one lonely Saturday night I was going to drive from Scotland to Manchester. I didn't even know where Manchester was properly on the map, <laughs> um, but, I, but I jumped in my car. I came down, and luckily my wife opened the door. Um, I moved in with my wife um, uh, six, six months later. 
I uh, found a job, you know, working in another travel agent, looked after that from a leadership sort of a point of view. Mm-hmm. And then I I um, went to work for a company called Going Places, um, Air Tours. You probably know them, yes. it was Leisure Group. And uh, I went for an interview and the chairman of the company was um, sponsoring a programme. And it just so happened he interviewed me. And I guess he must have found or saw something in me liked. And so he offered me a completely different job for the one I went for. I actually went for a job as a trainer and um, to train yeah. out a new technology platform. Um, and uh, he, he gave me a role which was really about developing technology and developing, uh, you know, new selling systems from a, you know, from a user point of view. I did that for six years, um, actually pretty successful business, and then left there, did the whole dot-com startup in London, uh, which was really quite interesting for a couple of the years when everybody was, you know, yeah, getting venture, ca- venture capital money and everybody was, um, you know, throwing lots of money around and became a <laughs> consultant, worked for TUI. Um, who was then called Thompson's, and eventually I ran the whole of their o- uh, online e-commerce platforms for seven years. I became a board director, and I guess that was really my first director role, um, where I got to see a, you know a wider group of sort of a senior leaders in the business. I, I was a director of that company for a number of years, and then I was um, uh, picked up by a chap called Simon Nixon, who had set up a business right. called yeah. Money Supermarket. Simon um, asked me to join their business to be the manager director of the travel business. Um, after about four months, I decided, or they decided that I could probably give more than just travel. So I looked after the money business as well, um, and the insurance business eventually. And I was a, an executive um, board director of the PLC for seven years. And then after that, I semi-retired and took some time <laughs> out. And then I found private equity, and I, right. and I, I, I fell into a role as a chief executive working for um, Sykes, um, who is owned by a company called Livingbridge, private equity company. And that was four years ago. Um, and here I am today. So a bit of a, <laughs> bit of a long, a long sort of a story, but. Uh, yeah. Some good stuff there. So, so the, the work hard ethic, you know, grounded in, in you've got to work hard to, to get a good living sort of approach. I think that's good grounding in the uh, entrepreneurial spirit from an early age as well. But then this whole thing isn't around technology and, and loving what you do sort of coming. Because I know obviously another you know, work we've done is, you know, you're very, very people focused, aren't you? But very technology focused as well. And getting that lovely balance and you know, that, yeah. that concept. I mean, no, no training in anything whatsoever. I mean, I, I, you know, you were probably gathered there. I, I didn't go to university. I don't have a degree. Um, yeah. but, but, you know, I, I guess I learned myself and it's one of my... One of the things I still enjoy even to today, and I do encourage it, and anybody who worked for me or any of the leaders I hire is to, you know, sharpen your own personal sauce, so to speak, and, uh, you know, um, be curious and be intellectually curious to sort of, you know, learn from others. And I'm not just talking about, you know, picking up a management sort of a leadership book or whatever it may be, but just, you know, learn from others, you know, learn from you know, I get a lot of influence still from, you know, sporting teams. Yeah, of course. Uh, and we've, we've spent some time together talking about, you know, how do you get the marginal gains of 1.82 mm. seconds from yeah. the, uh, the pit stop by the Red Bull sort of a team, you know, or we've done a lot of work in my career with sports people as well. You know, how do you learn from um, what does it mean to be part of a team um, and how the collective nature of everybody together heading in the direction makes a big difference. So I really encourage people to sort of, a, um, mm. and it's how I was sort of a brought up, is to sort of a, to just be curious and just keep learning. Yeah. One of the things I really admire about your leadership style, Graham, is your ability to be able to use data effectively. Many organizations talk about using data, and they talk about big data, and it's very easy to collect data, but you've actually decoded 
what digital leadership really is all about and being able to use data effectively. So how would you how would you describe that? I think multiple ways. I mean, I think you know we we've still got a lot to learn on this journey, but I think um, you know I learned a lot from the supermarket and the way that we put data um, first. And a lot of businesses have a lot of data, but they don't really mm. know they don't really have a lot of insight. And it's how do you sort of take data into insight and then turn that insight into meaningful action? And it's that, you know, we can collect data. You have to start by collecting data and cleansing it and having it in the right way and storing it in the right format. But then yeah. the really clever thing then comes is, well, what's the insight? So, yeah. you, you know, one of the things I learned at Money Supermarket from my old boss was, and I think he learned this from Dunhumby, um, was, you know, the power of two effectively, you know, how you have sort of, you know, a commercial person sitting alongside, say, a data analyst. Mm-hmm. And it's how you know it's how they work together to find out well where's the real value, because analysts and data people in particular they can get really excited about things that are interesting to data people, but they're not really interesting in terms of helping improve the customer experience or helping improve their overall journey or or to commercialize it. So I, I think the key thing we probably did uh, both at Monday Supermarket and also at Sykes is we put data into the strategy, um, in terms of the narrative for the business. So it became yeah. almost a key pillar in the way the yeah. business the way the business behaved, and then we put people in charge of it, and then we created a steering and a story around it. So data always had a voice. Um, mm. It wasn't something that was sitting, you know, at the bottom of uh, you know a piece of paper, sort of somewhere it says, "Let's be good at data." It was fundamental. There's four key ways that we're going to, you know, we're going to drive this business forward. One of them is data. Um, and you know this is what we then do. So therefore, this drives the investment decision. It drives the steering and the leadership focus. It drives the people agenda in terms of hiring really smart people so they know what to do. Um, and it becomes sort of ingrained in your sort of a culture of you know collecting data and understanding the power of data. And that's interesting because that, how you link it all together and join the dots. That's one of the challenges of leaders, isn't it? Is how you how you do that. How do you sort of link strategy with you know, the investment decisions, the direction of the business, and, and what people are thinking about, and how they organise themselves on a day-to-day basis to actually to make things happen. So I think that's that's quite quite fascinating how how you do that. I know you do that really well. So I know you're a big fan of simplicity, aren't you, as well in terms of one-page plans and. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I. I... You know, and, and, and I think I'm there now, you know, <laughs> the version of me maybe sort of a 10 years ago, um, you know, um, I mean, Simon Nixon, I think if you asked him, I think he I think he would still credit credit me with um, as one of the people who sort of uh, helped to make the decision that he should step, step, step down as a CEO because I, <laughs> <laughs> we, we developed this overly complicated project called um, Leading with Insight um, and I wanted to measure everything. And so therefore there wasn't focus in the business but right. you know I, I do now very much learn from that which is you know i think if you if you can give clarity of purpose clarity of focus we really understand what your business is what you're really good at and then you create a story and a narrative that people believe in and they also believe that they can become the best at it and mm. that's how that's how you succeed and you know and a lot of you know, I think a lot of certainly my role as the CEO, uh, my my job is to storytell in a way. You know, my yeah. my job is to, yeah. um, I mean, apart from the obvious, you know, in terms of you know, uh, you know, setting strategic direction, unlocking unlocking you know potential and people, etc. A lot of my time is just building narrative and that storytelling around you know this is who we are, this is what business we're in, and this is you know this is what we believe, and and then this is the culture we need to sort of drive on the back of it as well. 
Would you would you say storytelling and narrative is is a key and that you know that conversational type set of skills is that a key attribute to leadership going forward? I, I absolutely one hundred percent believe in it. Yeah, I think you know I think you know the 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 death of most strategies is 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 the fact that it, they're overly complicated. People don't believe in them. They also can't understand how they relate to the organization and, and they relate to the strategy. And I think if you can tell a story and you can tell it through, you know, words and pictures, people people can then get it because people can then understand it and then they can tell it. And it's, you know, it's, it's mm. a great way, obviously, it's the number one way to sort of learn is to sort of a, to, mm. to be told something and then to retell it and then, mm. you know, cascade that down. So I really do believe in this idea of sort of, a, you know, storytelling and sort of a creating this sort of a narrative and actually creating belief as well. And the simpler you can make it, the higher the chance of success as well. And it's that difference between, you know, you know, what is the vision for your business? You know, what is it you want to be? And then how do you execute it, you know, from a from a, from a measurable and timely action? Yeah. Because it has to have some foundations. And then what are the four mm-hmm. or five things that you're going to do at, at all expense, the four or five things you're going to do to, to deliver? That's so true, Graham. I, I love the way that you do that and you actually make that simple. I talk with many senior teams. I ask them what the strategy is and they mumble a few words around EBITDA and a little bit about the the values or maybe a purpose statement, but they haven't actually joined the dots and connected it to reality and, and how that translates and they don't really tell the story. They, they'll do a launch conference and then that's it and they expect everyone to get it without actually doing the narrative and the storytelling and the, the belief building that you talked about there. You mentioned there about uh, belief, Graham, around you know, getting people to really believe it. How do you How do you practically do that? I think um, it has to be your strategy has to be credible and it has to be authentic in the way that you sort of deliver that sort of a strategy and that sort of a message. And even if, you know, I'm a big fan of um, big, hairy, audacious goals. I've no idea where that came from. I think it was a McKinsey thing. But, you know, I like this idea of always having this BHAG, which is, you know, just make it stretching enough. (laughs) Yeah. The Jim Collins one, was it Jim yeah. Collins? Was it okay? So yeah, good to great. I think. Good yeah. to great. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I mean, we could spend all day talking about Jim Collins, yeah. and, and if That's anybody has, if anybody yeah. hasn't read Good to Great, then sort of you yeah. know, Built to Last and the whole series of books, yeah. I'd recommend them. Stuff, but 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 I think it's you know, I, I think it's a number of things. Some of it's authenticity, you know, how you deliver it. Something something it's about setting a, a hairy audacious goal that's stretching, but achievable, um, mm. and it's how you then build a path towards that as well. So people need to understand how they get there. You yep. know, it's it's sort of a, you know, it's not, you know, by 2029, 20, we need to be here, but you've got to help people get there a little bit, you know, navigate sort of a towards it. And and also, I think it's um, this constant communication as well. You know, I think what you can't do is sort of a deliver something and then just assume that's it. I've told you what you want. <laughs> I've told you what the yeah. strategy is now. You know, you, you need to constantly communicate it and you need to build into individual people's objectives and you need to build into individual people's narratives of the conversations they're having as leaders and as managers with the people you need to keep asking people do you know what's expected um, of the company do you know what's expected of you and if there's not let's sit down and have a conversation about it so you know it's just constantly reinforcing Forcing it and communicating it and communicating it. And I mean, you mentioned the word EBITDA there, you know, in terms of, you know, strategy. I mean, any company that basically has a, anything about EBITDA and their strategy is just doomed to fail. Absolutely. I think. 
we're on the same page there aren't we Graham <laughs> yeah I mean it's just I mean how uninspiring you know we want to be a hundred million EBITDA company it's fine in a boardroom you know we can yeah. have it in a boardroom and we can, we can talk to our investors about it etc but you know you know the rank and file do not care um but if you can inspire them you know, Monday Supermarket was great because, you know, our mission was to, in the early days, was to help the UK household save a billion pounds. Mm. You know, and it was really quite, you know, measurable and, 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 and people really got it. You know, at Sykes, you know, we we were all about basically, you know, and taking people on holiday and then creating these magic memories you know, that, you mm. know, we could measure through things like yeah. Net Promoter Score. You know, yeah. all of that, when you back flushed it, you could find a way of covering an, e- you know, finding a revenue or EBITDA. But you yeah. didn't talk about that because um, yeah. that's that's not what inspires people. It's almost like if you if you're worried about the EBITDA, that's almost like happened already, isn't it? So you're almost like six be, six months behind your thinking anyway, aren't you? So if you if you look at it that from that viewpoint, but you're right, it's not really inspiring. And I guess the key isn't it, is linking it to the customer experience as well, and and the the employee experience as well. How does it all fit together? Yeah, I think you know, I think one of the you know, if I could go back and have a talk with my younger version of myself, you know, I think. Um, you know, I think I've come to realize maybe in the last maybe six years of my career, just how important putting people at the very beginning of your thinking and your strategy and your structure, um, as certainly as a CEO is, you know, you know, I've, I've always, people's always been really important to me and culture's always been really important to me, but it's probably been up there at the same level is some other things about the best customer experience or the best owner experience or um you know the best product piece whatever it may be but i think you know as i've, as I've learned over the years if you get the people right and you get the leadership of those people right and you get the right people you know to go back to jim collins you know right people in the bus at the very front then they'll figure out the other parts yeah. of the equation and even if even if you've got it wrong the good ones will figure out how to course correct and how to yeah. you know you know how to make it right you know even if it's a bad strategy they'll course correct it into a good strategy that's right for you so I think the, 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 you know a younger version of myself would be more you know we've got to have this this and this and now my older version is let's start with people you know have we got the right people how do we unlock the potential in those people yeah. to make them the best versions of themselves how do we incentivize them in the right way so that actually they feel valued how do we give them all the right tools to mm. do the jobs and you know to be better versions of themselves as i said and then what comes after that there was some really important insight that came up for me there graham around the importance of asking questions as a senior leader you know once you've set that direction and you've got that purpose you made all the links you join the dots and you're in that execution mode it's about the how-to questions you know how do we how do we unleash potential in our people how do we create the right culture how do we create the right environment for success how do we and i think that dialogue and in questioning and insightful and as you said before earlier in a question about being curious i think is is a really good insight into how teams should operate at a, a senior level how important do you think dialogue is as a as a senior team and that richness and that deepness of that conversation um yeah but i think you know my, my, my style has always been i'm not i'm not a very you know, confrontational, uh, aggressive sort of a leader yeah. in the way that I, sort of it works, you know. Um, but I think I've been fortunate to, um, I guess, you know, gain uh, respect, I would mm. say is the right word I'd use from, from, from the people that have sort of worked with me. 
um, over the years. And you know, where, where it hasn't sort of worked out, then obviously we've had to we've had to sort of a part part sort of a company. So yeah. encouraging encouraging a free flowing dialogue is is absolutely critical. I mean, I do believe. I believe this is very, very difficult, and I've, I've very rarely seen it ever happen. It doesn't happen even in the businesses I looked after. But I believe if you go to a boardroom and you're an observer, you shouldn't really necessarily know who the CEO is. Yeah. Mm. I, I, I don't know if you've come across that. <laughs> That's what yeah. I believe. It, it is very difficult because people just naturally. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I have found during this pandemic, this sort of a crisis, that even more so because obviously, you're, you know, your, your leadership the style has to change because actually yeah. you're in crisis yeah. and actually, you know, you can't necessarily um, do and behave in the way they used to behave. You have to sort of pivot yourself much more into, you know, preservation and protection. Okay. Mm-hmm. How do we, how do we, how do we plan for the worst? How do we look mm-hmm. after our people? How do we look after the company? And actually, you know, what's our responsibility as directors or, you know, to, mm-hmm. to, to ensure that obviously um, we, you know, we protect the business mm-hmm. best as we sort of can. So the dialogue sort of changes, but you know, you know, I very much encourage, you know, free, full, open challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It, you, totally know, you, always, you, always get, you always get the best out of people. But it takes time, you know, it, it, it takes time. And, you know, I think high-performing teams, you know, you have to, you have to sort of, you know, build trust over mm-hmm. time. You know, you have to have a shared understanding. Yeah. You, know, you have to, we have to basically, you know, exercise discipline as a team sort of it together as well. And we have to understand what risks and prudent risks we want us to ever take as a business. And that just comes with, you know, more and more time and dialogue. The thing that's been really interesting during sort of a COVID is, um, you know, we developed like a mini Cobra session, you know, every yeah. mo- Monday. At the beginning, it was every day, but now it's every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And it's mm. a very short, sharp, you know, eight o'clock in the morning, um, mm. no more than, say, 30 minutes or so. And um, mm. the eight of the key decision makers in the business and and it's been fascinating for me to observe just how quickly we can make decisions, how we're all on the same page, because it's just this constant, you know, repetitive, like, right, what are we doing? What are we doing? Are we here? This is what we agreed last time. Have we done it? And um, it's been fascinating. Whereas, you know, when everything's going quite well, you know, you tend to, yeah, we'll pick that up at the executive meeting next month. Or, yeah, you know, <laughs> there's not that sense of urgency, is there? <laughs> yeah, or, or you have a conversation with one person and you sort of walk to someone else. It's not quite the same. And so in a way, you know, this has been it's been awful um, yeah. in many ways, but actually it's been very interesting because I've seen a lot of behavioural changes that mm. I think are very positive that I'm quite keen to take forward. Absolutely. You're right there, Graham. I think it's really important to think about you know, what have we learned through the crisis and what are we actually going to take forward from a positive point of view. I think it's really easy when you know, the results, as you said there, when the results are coming in, it's very easy, dare I say, that we, we can become a, a little bit lazy. And one of the things I've found uh, talking to many teams through the crisis is that they're really pleased about how the team have come together and feel more stronger and bonded. And I guess that that common purpose that you know, we're fighting against a crisis mode has actually galvanized the, the teams and they're starting to work together really effectively and making decisions really effectively. So I think that's that's really important. I think... If you look at the past where you've had maybe see seeing team meetings where in certain circumstances you've got individuals fighting for their departments, their functions, where the crisis actually brought us all together and, and we're starting to be forced to look at the organization as a whole and what's best for the organization rather than what's best for my, my budget or my function or my KPIs. So I think that's really, really interesting in terms of how that's happened. And I guess the, the key is how do we keep those behaviors, those positive behaviors, how do we keep them and how do we keep the teams working in that really positive way? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that, particularly on the board meeting point as well. You know, we, we, 
again, you know, I learned very early on that, you know, most board people's papers were getting produced just because it was a an exercise where, oh God, the board meeting's coming up, I need to produce another paper, you know. Yeah. But we 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 worked quite early on with a company called Board Intelligence, um, who create virtual board packs effectively, you know, delivered through your iPad or whatever. Um, and what was interesting is they obviously observe, you know, you know, hundreds and hundreds of other businesses. So they they observe as well. So the, the whole style of the um the board pack is all about a it's more like a sort of a like an essay question and answer type thing you know like yeah. what's on your mind like my my yeah. ceo report i start with the question is this is what's on my mind that's my mm. my first sort yeah. of a, my intro yeah. you know and then you know what have we learned in the last month you know what's worked well what hasn't worked so mm. well you know where have i got some concerns and risks and mm. um, and you know anything else i think i need to make the board aware of you know and 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 trying to control it to no more than two pages. And so you just focus on, I mean, I, I love the idea. I think it's um, Jeff Bezos that sort of a, um, uh, and his board sort of a meeting, allegedly, I'm not any proof of this, but I'm told that he makes the teams write the board papers as, a, as an essay, as a two-page mm-hmm. essay, and people yeah. actually turn up to the meeting and they either have to have read it or they read it in the meeting and then they just discuss it. <laughs> quite like yeah i totally agree with that and i guess you know we're obviously talking about board level stuff here but this is this is really applicable at any level really in a business isn't it really oh, it is. how, yeah. how do you simplify you know your team meetings at you know that that team leader level to middle management to senior management to, to board level and i think the more we can do that you know I, I i i sit in horror sometimes when i see you know 18 board papers stacked up at you know a foot high on a desk and thinking there's no way you can read all that <laughs> understand all that information whereas the discipline of, of simplifying. You can hide lots of stuff, can't you, in a big, big document, but to get it down to a two-page essay, that's, that can be, that, that shows and that you really understand what's going on. You've got a grip of it. And, and I love the idea of your, you know, what's on my mind question and, and what are some of the risks to have, what, what are my concerns and and what we learned. And I think that that way of operating is, is really, really, really important because you start to get some understanding, don't you? Then you can drive some really good decisions from that. It comes. It comes down a bit to the, um, you know, it's a bit like my other pet here is meetings. You know, I think, you mm. know, people just seem to have meetings for the sake of sort of having meetings. And I guess now, you know, through Teams or you know mm. Zoom or maybe you know people are realizing actually that you you can, you can have you know good engagement in a slightly more you know efficient way. But you know most people when they sort of go to meetings, they sort of you know they you know very rarely do you get decent agendas in advance. Very mm-hmm. rarely do people do the prep work in advance for the mm-hmm. meeting. Um, and then most of the activity happens during the meeting. And then the follow up is quite weak as well. Yeah. You know, I always think of a meeting as sort of, you know, a third, a third, a third, you know, mm-hmm. third of the time should be spent before, you know, this is the, this is the people who need to be here. This is the agenda. This is what we're trying to achieve. Make sure everybody knows, do we even need the meeting? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Then, it's first, yeah. <laughs> And, and, and then a third of your time is sort of in the in the meeting, but quite you know you know quite purposeful. You know what you know what are we trying to achieve? You know what's the key things? And then then it's like how you spend time following up, so you don't need another meeting to discuss the meeting you just had. <laughs> I think sometimes as leaders we can underestimate the power and the importance of meetings, can't we? And you know, I like the third and a third and a third concept there. And we we don't spend enough time. We we rush into a meeting and. I'm amazed sometimes, I'm, I'm hearing a lot now where people are, are saying that, oh, I'm exhausted. I've been in back-to-back Zoom or Teams meetings all day. And I'm thinking, how on earth can you be effective if you're in back-to-back? How do you prepare for the next meeting? Or how do you actually make sure that you follow up and uh, effectively write down the actions and all those sort of type things? And 
it's quite amazing. I think I think sometimes we underestimate the importance of being really skilled and, and really good at preparing for meetings, crafting agendas, a crafting approach, think about the tools going to use and actually make the, the meetings really, really effective. Because I always think the most important thing is what happens after the meeting. You know, how do I want people to feel? What do I want them to go and do? And I think we don't actually do that. You know, we start at the end and work backwards. And I think that time, that third crafting and thinking through the meeting and do I really need it is really important. So I think absolutely right there, Graham. An important skill, certainly as a leader, to be able to really run meetings really effectively and create the right environment for some really good dialogue and discussion. Good but, but I think I think it comes back to also this whole thing about, you know, you know, uh, you know, marginal gains in a way is sort of a yeah. leader because you know you know a lot of my job is basically i mean we're a private equity backed company so i have to always think five years mm. and and 10 years typically yeah. i have to think five years because five years time chances are we're going to be selling our business again to somebody so yeah. you know what yeah. am i saying what am i saying but what i need to also think about is what am i also saying or what are they saying the business who's going to buy your business to the other mm. company they're going to sell mm-hmm. it to in five years time so you you're always thinking yeah. those horizons so yeah. you know I, I always have to think about you know where am i going to get the gains from you know where mm-hmm. where you know how are we going to grow our revenue how are we going to grow our people you know how are we going to become more efficient you know how are we mm-hmm. you know how are we going to effectively you know service more and more customers more and more owners you know what are the what are the processes that we have that we can operationalize how can we use data to simplify things how can we do self-servicing and where it's appropriate and um, what are the things that give us the competitive advantage in our business? You know, if I can just get, you know, um, you know, a 0.25% increase in this thing and mm-hmm. I've got, you know, 50 million of them, what yeah. does that do to a business? And, yeah. um, you, know, I, you know, I think, you know, meetings are the same because, you know, when you're spending all your time in meetings, then obviously you're not giving enough time to thinking yeah. about, you know, yeah. those other things as well. And you end up just becoming busy fools. And, and I mm-hmm. do see that a lot in businesses, you know, people just just sort of a drowning and just um, one meeting to another or just basically in, in things that just don't add value or completely yeah. inefficient. Responding to emails and things like that. I think you're right. I think that's one of the things I've learned from Leadership is that thinking thinking time actually is a deliverable and, and it is something that you, you should be doing and, and it's okay to do that. It's okay to go for a walk or reflect or sit down and have some dialogue and discussion. And that's, that's work, isn't it? That's what you should be doing. And you mentioned there really in terms of those questions that you mentioned there really that's almost like for me that's what drives a strategy is you know, how do we you know, once we know what we're delivering and what purpose is and it's really about three things that how do we grow the business how do we operate what we've got now more effectively and more efficiently and then yeah how do you make sure we've got the right people in the right place at the right time doing the right stuff and that's fundamentally it isn't it really in terms of the sort of questions you need to answer uh, and i think sometimes we just overcomplicate it and then when we start to overcomplicate it that's when we start to get drowning in in doing the wrong things no, I, I agree. I agree. It's like it's, um, you know, we one of the things that we implemented at, at Sykes is uh, and Google uses this a lot in the product development. It's called OKRs. I'm sure you've come mm. across them, you know, yeah. object, objectives and key results. You know, what is yeah. the objective? You know, mm. what what's the key result I'm expecting and the measurable the way I'm going to measure it as well? And also that covers mm-hmm. capability. You know, yeah. what capabilities are required to execute yeah. it? Because if you're going to be the best at, I don't know, let's just say you're going to build you're going to have the best app let's just say to service your customers well you're going to require a lot of skills that you probably don't you may not necessarily have in your business mm-hmm. to deliver mm-hmm. that um mm-hmm. you know same goes with data um mm-hmm. you know we spent we spent a lot of time thinking about net promoter score and how we use mps as a driver because we we found that a highly mps you know the more it you know benefits mm-hmm. our business in, in many different ways 
So, you know, so we need we need a lot of capabilities in order to make sure we deliver the highest level of NPS, you know, be that cleaning teams and maintenance teams, data analysts to measure it, you know, continuous mm-hmm. improvement teams, operational squads, but it all comes from that sort of a one, you know, OKR. Yeah, absolutely. And that's almost like gives you that route, isn't it? That direction that you take the top level direction and the OKRs, the OKRs can sort of help you to translate that into the direction and what's important and what I need to focus on. But then it also gives you a bit of information around, okay, so what skills do we need? What what capabilities do we need? What knowledge do we need to actually make that happen? Support's really good at that, aren't they? They'll, they'll work out, you know, to in order to win the World Cup in four years, we need to be able to you know, run that fast, tackle that hard or whatever, whatever sport it is. Uh, and they almost like predict what the winning score is going to be, don't they, at the end of it, and then work backwards from it. So, yeah, what, I think, uh, uh, yeah, I think sport, you know, I think, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of, um, you know, Formula One, Sky Cycling team and the military as well. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, mm-hmm. you know, we spent a lot of time over the years, you know, getting, you know, various different sort of a, military commanders or leaders to come in to talk about you know how they think about you know how do you you know how do you transport you know tens of thousands of people you know from mm. one place to another uh, mm. in a super efficient sort of a way you know how do you plan all those logistics mm. Uh, mm. and then when you think about you know mission command you know mm. how do you yeah. how do you execute sort of a mission command and how does it sort of work and you know uh, mm. and so as this, it goes back to my point at the beginning you know I think there's just a lot of you can learn from a lot of um, a lot of other sort of areas and sort of bring them bring them into your continual sort of a sharpen the saw and sort of a learn you know, how you how you um, become better. Mm. Absolutely. What what do you look for in a leader, Graham? You know, you obviously recruited a lot of leaders over the years, but what what are the sort of key attributes? Obviously, outside of the particular sort of you know, subject matter expertise they need, but what is it the sort of the traits or the values or behaviours that you look for in a, in a great leader for your business? Um, well, I, I, I mean, first and foremost, I, uh, for me personally, you know, I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. So yeah. I, I always try and surround myself with people who complement um, mm. me and are, you know, quite often, well, well always and typically better at mm. various different functions, you know, um, than me. So, you know, it, it, and, and, you know, I think CFO is a very, very particular sort of important role for sort of a, someone like me as a CEO, op, chief operations mm. officer. Those are sort of critical. So so I guess it's understanding your weaknesses and then surround yeah. yourself with sort of a talent, you know, people to complement so you become sort of a better as well. Yeah. Um, I tend to, you know, when I'm looking for sort of, a, you know, people, we tend to sort of a, um, hire definitely for um, EQ over IQ, yeah. unless, it's, unless it's a real specialist role. But you know, you know, we can teach people skills in certain yeah. departments, but um teaching people how to, you know, have the right level of emotional intelligence, um, mm. it's just a bit it's just a bit tougher. Um yeah. so I think it's you know, you know, and I've seen in many organizations, you know, you know, the, the A team, if you want to call it higher the B team, the B team higher the C team. <laughs> yeah, that's true, so, yeah, yeah. So, so so you know, what I'm looking for, what we're looking for, and we encourage this, is I want people who are gonna make us feel really uncomfortable. As, as leaders in a business because they want our jobs. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one, isn't it? I like that. They're, they're constantly nipping at your heels. Yeah. Yeah, and you get that that diversity, don't you? I think the thing, the trap, isn't it, where organizations sort of, they recruit for the cultural fit of the business, don't they? But actually, we, we need people who who can actually challenge us and look at things in a different way, particularly at the moment. I think diversity is starting to play a bigger role, isn't it, in, in everything we do with all this disruption and you know, uncertainty going on. But trying to create that 
that sort of um i guess challenge isn't it that that way of thinking that that is not the same as yours and, and you want to encourage that it's harder to, to lead and manage that but but it's really really important today as well yeah these people generally are you know they're, they're hungry so therefore you know you need to make sure you have enough time for them you know the sort of a, you know you, you mentioned the thinking time you know blocking time mm. out in your diary making sure mm. these people have mentors and mm. So they can get the right level of leadership, and some of that's internal mentors, some of it's external mentors as well. And yeah. um, I, I mean, I mean, EQ is very important, as I said. But you know, the core things really are, you know, someone who's passionate, I think, is really important. Certainly, yeah. you know, I'm looking for passion, someone who cares, someone who's done a bit of research, you know, someone who really sort of, you know, is is it keeps asking questions. You know, yeah. <laughs> I like yeah. I like people yeah. who just keep asking questions. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. And and but also a bit of humility as well. You know, and, and you know, it never really works well when sort of you know people come in or you're interviewing them and they spend you know it's all about you know brand themselves and what yeah. they've done and what they achieved. And I know they're you know they're selling themselves for interviews, but you know a bit of humility because often there'll be other people that's helped them achieve that, and it's how they think about team uh, yeah. and collect collecting it as well. Um, yeah. But you, you also need you know you also leaders you know certainly in a fast moving business like like mine you know you want people who will be able to give clarity and can sort of a see through the wood for the trees, give mm-hmm. that leadership and direction, and but also be quite decisive as well. Um, because, yeah. you know, you know, critically often is required in fast moving sort of businesses as well. Mm. I, I think you're right. I think as if I was just reflecting then on the, the conversation we've had and uh, it's been really fascinating. I think the one thing that's come out for me, the, the sort of link is that, the ability of a leader to be able to ask the right questions and almost like the questions are the answers aren't they as a leader that's that's a key topic that sort of come through and that whole richness of dialogue and narrative and storytelling and challenging and, and things like that key key elements going going forward would that yeah. summarize summarize the sort of the approach you take yeah i mean I, th- I mean i think you know as i said you know hiring hiring the hiring talent unlocking that talent giving them the tools and you know recognizing you know people follow people they don't follow businesses and setting the right ambition for people so they get excited Um, Mm. and the problem with that sometimes is you know what what are the the consequences of it is you hire all these really bright super smart people and they're also damn ambitious and Mm. you know you need to make sure you keep them excited and you hold on to them and you pay them and reward them as well And, and that can it can be difficult because um sometimes you end up you know you have to keep reviewing some of these people's salary every six months because they're just yeah. so damn yeah. good at what they sort of do and you know and, and it might not fall in your normal pay review process or timeline yeah. But, yeah. but you just got to break a few rules for sort of if you want to hire hire that sort of a talent and, and it's dangerous because you know one of the, some of the challenges and, and um, i had this at thompson a little bit at tui where we had a team that were more like this elite team and they were just looked upon very differently from the rest right. of the organization and um, but their, their their ability to deliver value for the organization was immense mm. um and that's hard sometimes how you get that that sort of a balance um you know because you want to protect that team as best as you possibly as possibly Absolutely. possibly sort of a can but recognize there's you know tens of thousands of other people who uh, <laughs> are, not, yeah. are not in the club the added part now i think is the environment of which they, mm. in which they work in is becoming yeah. more and more critical to yeah. To basically, you know, have somewhere that people can, you know, again become the best version of themselves. You know, the the sort of the the the, the space 
in which the sort of, you know, come, if, in particular an office, come into an office, I think is becoming more and more critical as well. And and people are choosing, you know, people are choosing one business over another because the, the, the environment and the tools and the, and the offering and the wellness and the, you know, all the facilities are just, uh, you know, part of an overall package. Yeah, absolutely right. That that environment is so key, isn't it? About how you how you create the right environment for people to really thrive and you know, create that attractive package for them to to want to come to work for you. And yeah, that health and wellness is so important these days, isn't it? Around how do we create a really conducive environment that really gets the best out of people? In terms of your experiences and all the journey you've been on so far, how would you, Graham? How would you? like to be remembered as a leader so you're retired now and you're reflecting back and how would people describe you or what would you want to be famous for or what would be your leadership legacy oh my legacy i mean i think uh probably a couple of things i mean i think i i get a real kick out of um seeing people progress who've worked for me through an organization and then go on to either being you know running that organization you know, being in charge of it or going into another organization and excelling and doing incredibly well. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I, I mean, I've been really fortunate in the stuff that I've done and that, you know, you know, nothing that I need to worry too much now about is the, is the financial reward and anything I've sort of done. So I, you know, it, it does declutter your mind in a way that you spend much more yeah. time thinking about, okay, how do, how do I, how do I get you to become the best so that actually you're yeah. running this organization or, you know, you're going on to become an MD, a director, and running something else and being super successful. So I, mm. you know, for me, and I've been very fortunate in my career that, you know, I've had a number of people that have worked for me that have gone on to, you know, be incredibly successful and run quite large businesses. And uh, I get a real sort of a kick out of that. I think I think the other one ultimately then is just value creation. If you, if you, you know, if you go back to, you know, sort of a, you know, TUI, when I took over TUI back in the early days, you know, we were doing about 50 million pounds online. When I left, we're doing about three and a half billion. And now that clearly isn't all me, but you know, I yeah. was in charge of that for seven years. And mm-hmm. money supermarket, you know, when I joined as part of a number of people that joined at the time, we were going through profit warnings and mm-hmm. the market cap of the business was down to, you know, uh, about 400 million. When I left, it was back over 2 billion. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Sykes had an exit last year, um, just under 400 million pounds. Um, and when the first investor came in, it was 54 million. So, you know, that is value creation um, for lots of people. And we've we've built big businesses that have employed, you know, um, tens of thousands of people and still Mm -hmm. do. You know, that's Mm -hmm. that's pretty Mm -hmm. awesome. I love that concept of making a difference and that impact that we have. And we create these organizations where we can... You allow people to deliver just amazing things. And I love the concept as leadership of awakening possibility to deliver extraordinary results. So I, I really love that approach, Graham. I think it's fantastic. It is great. But also, you know, equally, you know, we, you know, when I took over Sykes, we employed less than 200 people. We employ about 800 people now. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, you know, particularly during COVID, you know, the thing that just mm-hmm. keeps going through my mind is, you know, like, you know, We've got to protect the business, but we've got to find ways to protecting, you know, all of these people who are working their socks off, yeah. uh, you know, under, you know, really difficult circumstances and a really difficult environment, you know, a lack of real clarity, you know, and, and, and you feel really you care. I mean, I care a lot about yeah. about those people and, uh, you know, you know, mm-hmm. making sure that, you know, I can help them and protect as many of them as I possibly can. 
mm. and uh, you know we don't we don't screw it up. Yeah. I think that's right. That's one of my things when I, I noticed when I came out of the military around in the military, you do really care for your people. A lot of people think it's really hard and egotistic and you know control and all that stuff. But actually, it's the opposite. It's really empowering. You've got the mission command approach. and But you've got this whole thing around you. You really care for your, your team, your men and, and, and women. And, and I think that's something sadly can be missing sometimes. You know, people, I find it amazing sometimes here over COVID where I heard people saying, well, I've been furloughed, but no one's been in contact with me for, yeah. for the last you know, two months. I just find that staggering. You know, think about often stress comes from not actually being in a crisis or you know, they say in the military, it's not about just being in battle. The stress often comes afterwards when you're, you're quiet and you reflect if you've got nothing to do. That's when it can be even more successful. So you've got all these people working really hard, haven't you, um, in the business who haven't been furloughed. And then all those people who've been furloughed who, who've got time to think and reflect, think and, and worry. And, and that's where... We need to really care for them, don't we? And, and think about how can we support them? How can we support them through this and, and make sure we're we're doing the right thing? Uh, you know, as leaders, we want to be able to sleep at night, don't we? So I think doing the right thing is always always really, really important. No, I agree. I agree. I mean, the, 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 we created um, uh, the Garden Club. <laughs> so right. it, it, it turns it turns out a lot of people who were on furlough just spent a lot of time in the garden. So we were basically um, creating videos and sharing garden experiences yeah. um, Right the way through, and 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 our people department, um, you know, the people department, you know, spent a lot of time talking about um how you look after yourself, how you look after your mental yeah. well-being, you know, you know, also your physical sort of a well-being, and uh, you know, constant communication. I mean, I've I've found um some of the technology that we've been using, Teams is a good example. Yeah. Um, some of the stuff we've been using has really helped improve communication massively because people have been forced, in a yeah. way to utilize it as opposed to, well, I know it's there, but I don't really engage with it. Now they're sort of a, they have to engage with it to understand what's going on because that's where the single source of the truth is. Mm, definitely, I totally agree with that. How, how do we find out about you, Graham, and, and what you're up to and what you're up to next and, and Sykes, what, what would be the best way of doing that? Um, well, you know, I probably wouldn't advise you to go on to sort of, you know, Google and, and, and Google us at the moment because you know, we, definitely, <laughs> we definitely went through a tough time and we're not over, over, over it yet. But um, I think if you, follow, if, you, if you follow me on LinkedIn and Brilliant. generally, you know, yeah. I haven't been doing it for a while um, because of COVID. But, you know, I, as you know, I used to do posts every Friday and with Brilliant. data and so forth. And I will I will resurrect some of that. Oh, but um, th- th- there's enough information there and equally about Sykes as well. Mm, fantastic. Well, a big thank you, Graham. I know I can talk to you for hours and hours about leadership, and we have and we in the past, so I'm sure we will continue doing that. And our leadership journeys will continue, and we'll learn more stuff along the way. But it's been really great to grab a bit of your time, grab you out of your garden, because I know your garden is absolutely amazing. There, having a look at the, the the pictures on social media, so you've been working hard there, haven't you? I'm doing some well, good so, stuff. So, but... Somebody has. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I have. I have been as well. I find it good therapy. Yeah, I, I do as well. It's, it's amazing that how um, you, you, I think that getting out there and doing something physical makes a, make a big difference in it and, and, and sort of gets rid of the worry or concern whatever you have there. So big thank you, Graham. It's been a pleasure. And uh, obviously all your details in, in the show notes so people will get that. But thank you for your insights and Graham. It's been, been wonderful. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you very much, Graham. Cheers. Thanks. A big thank you for listening to the Leadership Late Bear podcast with me, Graham Wilson. For more information on our guest leader and to find out how we can support you, check out the links in the description and look out for our next leadership podcast. Remember, 
Leadership is all about taking action. Make sure you connect and apply the lessons learned. Have fun and bye for now.